Hello and welcome to Adam Analyzes. My name is Adam and I'll be your host. So for this one, I wanted to continue the trend as far as movies that may, I don't know, blend between different genres. You had Gremlins 2 that kind of blended between horror and comedy, leaning more heavily on the comedy side. But here we have a movie that is, at its heart, a musical. But it's also a very funny musical, and it also includes some great musical numbers, and is one of my favorite movies of all time. This is the 1980 John Landis-directed The Blues Brothers. So, first things first, one of the things that amazes me about this movie is the fact that it's, to the best of my knowledge, the first Saturday Night Live film. Of course, there's been many SNL films throughout the years, but this one here was the first one, as the Blues Brothers themselves were kind of a recurring musical sketch on SNL. They originally appeared on SNL in bee costumes with John Belushi singing I'm a King Bee. It's not a great song and I know it was supposed to be funny because of the fact that they're in the costumes and they are singing a little bit of a ridiculous blues rock number. But eh, for me personally, it's not very funny. And well, I mean, John Belushi's singing he kind of approaches his idea of the blues with a rock mentality as opposed to working the blues into rock as some other musicians have done, namely Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin. It's actually just really hard to believe that in 1978 that this would have, I guess, created in 1980 the Blues Brothers movie that we know. and. It's even more impressive that they were able to spin this off before the movie and have a few albums, live albums mostly, that were popular and actually sold pretty well. People really dug what they were doing and I, again, am not a huge fan of the musical output that they've done. However, I do appreciate it, I do enjoy it, and I do like the movie better than, say, what a Blues Brothers album would be. But the albums themselves, they actually have a lot of energy. And I think John Belushi, outside of being an actor, I think he makes a decent frontman, even if I don't really care for his voice all that much. Of course, to the best of my knowledge, it was actually Dan Aykroyd that got John Belushi interested in blues music and apparently John Belushi was a bit of an obsessive. He found that he got attached to some of the different blues artists that Aykroyd liked and would go out and see if he could buy an entire catalog of records just from one particular band or artist. So I think that's what I'm really getting at with that is the fact that there's a lot of passion behind this and a lot of that passion carries over into the Blues Brothers film. And, well, it's probably no better time than now to actually break into the movie itself. I want to give a little bit of a history on it. Yes, it's a very Cliff Notes version. But, well, if you really want to go and find out about it, then, well, Wikipedia is your friend. Well, anyway, here it is. The Blues Brothers 
film. Set in Chicago, the Blues Brothers tells the story of Jolly Jake Blues, who is getting released from jail at the beginning of the film, and his brother, Elwood Blues, picks him up. They go to see the nun that I guess more or less that they feel raised them as they grew up in a Catholic orphanage. And well, they lovingly call her the penguin. So you know the love is there. She winds up informing them that if she does not get $5,000, she will have to close the orphanage. Jake and Elwood take it upon themselves to go and say, yes, we'll take on this mission. And well, they wind up having to go to church before they do so, recommended to them by musician Cab Calloway. It just so happens that the service that they attend, the sermon is being delivered by none other than James Brown. Jake gets some divine intervention, and that sets forward their mission from God. And, well, that's pretty much it as far as the plot itself. The plot is very thin, to be honest, and all it really does is set them up to go from one set piece to the next set piece to get to the next song. Yes, while this movie is a musical, it's not overly filled with musical numbers. It's not something like, say, The Who's Tommy, where it's nothing but singing throughout the entire thing. And there's not a song every five minutes in the movie. There is actual dialogue. And I don't know if this was ever made into a stage play, but outside of all the car chases and wrecks and everything, it might be fun to have the Blues Brothers do a stage play. Of course, not the original Blues Brothers, but it might make a fun adaptation. The musical numbers that we do get here are actually well worth the price of admission. You have musicians, like I mentioned before, you have James Brown, there's Aretha Franklin, there's Ray Charles, John Lee Hooker, Cab Calloway. There's a lot of different people in this movie, great musicians who really that helped shape R&B music and even shaped rock, classic rock music. A lot of that is taken from R&B. You have, as I stated before, Jimmy Page with Led Zeppelin. Even Black Sabbath kind of had a, had some blues thrown into it. And then you have the Beatles. The Beatles loved R&B, specifically John Lennon himself. And you could even say about how that might even cross over into some of the classic country and stuff too. But what I see that Dan Aykroyd and John Landis since they both wrote the script, of course it was Aykroyd originally, and John Landis made it into a shootable script because apparently the script was unshootable. I guess it was overly long and the movie would have wound up being much, much longer. And considering the plot itself wasn't really that complicated to begin with, I can't imagine how much stuff was actually in the script. But I see it that John Landis and Dan Aykroyd, and then I guess even to a lesser extent with John Belushi, I see it as like a little bit of a love letter to all of that and trying to maybe help people remember some of the classic music. And that's one of the things I really like about this movie is because I grew up on a whole bunch of different kinds of music. I grew up from a lot of the, you know, classics from the, uh, 
anywhere from the 50s all the way up through the the 80s when I was a kid. So I have a pretty wide range of music that I actually listen to. And I think for what this movie presents, I think that the music is near perfect and the performances are fantastic. One of the things that may be a major put off to people is the fact that the movie's very cartoony. And I actually like the ridiculous cartoony nature of it. And I don't think that you could recapture that type of feeling in a, in a movie again, as far as any kind of sequels to this. And yes, I'm alluding to what they did with Blues Brothers 2000, which is not a good movie at all. I do not recommend that one. It's kind of fun, I guess, in some ways, but it goes way too far over the top. And I didn't think that would be possible considering the original Blues Brothers movie went way over the top as well. But its sequel did. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about the Blues Brothers, the original. So let's get back to that. A lot of the comedic elements here, I think, are near perfect as well. I don't think a lot of the humor always works, but even if it doesn't work, you kind of appreciate it, and it kind of works in the movie's favor. The movie seems to have this charming nature about it, and it feels like it has a lot of goodwill. Like, if I watch this movie, it really does just give me a good feeling inside, because it takes me back to when I was around 13 or 14 and I took a chance and I bought the VHS copy of the Blues Brothers and that was specifically because Blues Brothers 2000 came out and I remember seeing there was quite a bit of press on it. I thought I might like that movie and strangely enough I did not like Blues Brothers 2000 but I did like the original a lot and I remember I said to my mom about it I said you know I think this might become one of my favorite movies and a lot of it was is because the movie's charming in its own way and I really like the fact too that it has a lot of car chases in it and they are filmed really well a lot of the stunts and ridiculous things that they do with the cars is amazing to me the fact that they were able to pull all this stuff off when hey we didn't have computer animation back then so all the stunts and everything they actually did them and i even think that it's the chicago city hall i think it's city hall that they wind up driving through the front of it they actually destroyed a piece of chicago in making this movie how they were able to actually get permission to be able to do that and to shut down pieces of Chicago for a day or whatnot for their shooting is very impressive. And I know that now they would probably not be able to do such a thing and it would be a CGI mess. One particular stunt that I like in the movie is when earlier in the film they ticked off the neo-Nazis that were let's say giving into their first amendment right with their free speech and everybody hates them well the blues brothers hated them too they run them off the road into the river and well later in the movie the nazis are chasing them along with the cops and you see the car the blues mobile which is a retired cop car you see that thing going flip backwards out of nowhere 
And, well, the Nazi's car gets launched up in the air and proceeds to also take out a piece of road. It's very impressive to see that car just slam into a hole in the ground. And that's with its cartoony Looney Tunes-esque type of nature. And, well, I really appreciate that the movie did all that. We do have a lot of great cameos in here, too. We have John Candy, Carrie Fisher, Stephen Williams, who you may know from The X-Files, at least its first season or two. Uh, has Paul Rubens in it as well in a Blink and You'll Miss It cameo. It's really great that a lot of the cameos are here. And also I like the fact, too, that you have a movie that this is also a great piece of work as far as reminding us of some of the people that we lost, some of the actors that I personally liked, I mean, such as John Candy and Carrie Fisher and, and of course, John Belushi. Uh, we lost John Belushi, you know, as well. And it's hard to believe, too, that you have the musicians as well and their music and their legacy with James Brown and Aretha Franklin and Ray Charles, Cab Calloway, John Lee Hooker. It's a great time capsule for a movie that has a lot of those people that we lost over the years. And it seems like it's a near perfect movie as far as casting. I forgot to mention one other cameo. Steven Spielberg makes a cameo in here as well. And it's another blink and you'll miss it. But it's still fun that Spielberg is here. And I would imagine that's because... Spielberg and John Landis were friends at one point until the unfortunate Twilight Zone the movie incident. And if you don't know what exactly happened on Twilight Zone the movie and how and why it pretty much killed John Landis's career, go and I guess listen to the Adam Analyzes for Twilight Zone the movie or just do a quick internet search and you'll find out exactly why. I don't think John Landis should have had 100% of the blame, specifically when Spielberg was on set uh, during this accident. But that's not the point of this episode, and that's another story for another day. Or a past episode of Adam Analyzes. Yes, I'm winking and smiling right now. But either way, if you have not seen The Blues Brothers, I definitely recommend you checking this one out. It's hard to believe that you may not have seen this film, but if you would tell me that it's a film that you have not seen, I wouldn't be surprised. They recently released the 40th anniversary edition 4K copy of The Blues Brothers. Thankfully, it does have the extended version. There is the standard and the extended version. I prefer the extended version for the extra musical numbers and some of the added scenes. However, you can't really go wrong with either cut. It's just that the extended version really does feel a little bit more fleshed out. But I will warn you that the movie does feel, I guess, less brisk with the extra 10 to 12 minutes thrown in. But either way, the extended cut is my preferred way to watch the movie, and it's my recommendation if you check this one out. One last little bit of trivia. This movie only made about $5 million, I believe, in its first week of release, which is not truly great, but by the end of its theatrical run originally, it wound up making over $115 million. 
And there's a good chance that had this movie, I guess, run in certain territories in the United States, that it would have made more. It appears that if you do a little research on this movie, it said that the, I guess, South, a lot of the theaters in the South, refused to show this movie. And, well, it's of course because of a lot of the cast being black. And it's honestly a shame that they would judge a movie based off of something like that. But, hey, with the way things are in the world and with the past and you see that the future is not much better, I honestly am not surprised. And if you're wondering as far as what some of my favorite scenes might be in the movie, I actually really enjoy the scenes with Ray Charles and the country bar. That's probably uh, two of my favorites right there. But there's still a lot of great moments in this movie. And, and it's really tough to just pick one specific scene because a lot of them are indeed standouts. But with that being said, I think it's time to close out this one. As a reminder, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam underscore analyzes. Also, check out adamanalyzes.com. That's right, I have a webpage, and on that webpage, you can catch up on some past episodes. But if you don't do the whole social media thing, you can also reach me by email. You can drop me an email at adamanalyzespodcast at gmail.com. In case you guys forgot, this is part of the WTF block. WTF, you say? Yes, WTF indeed. It stands for Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. If you think it stands for something else, well, it does, but ours is Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And that, <laughs> that is basically Wednesday, you got Marvin's Buddy Talks. Thursday, you have Inner Honest Opinion. Friday, you have my show, Adam Analyzes. Of course, Inner Honest Opinion is on hiatus right now, but we're going to be back soon, I promise. But also, one last thing with everything opening up. Uh, possibly sooner than what it should have been or or whatnot please make sure that you keep you and your family safe i want to keep my listeners and i want to also keep recording these episodes for you guys so if you would just go ahead and leave me a five-star rating at the podcast listening platform of your choice it'll allow me to reach new listeners and continue to make these for you guys but with that being said Good night.